Passion, drive, and patience. That's the formula for winning championships and is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. They have superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and much, much more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, they've got it all ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber and not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins let's keep your ride or die alive today at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. It's like taking a piece of duct tape and rolling it around your hand and trying to get the lint off your shirt. Man, we're making some serious progress. When you can relate the super technical racing to picking up the lint on your t-shirt, big time. (laughs) The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. What's up, guys? Welcome to the bridesmaid version of Actions Detrimental. I'm Denny Hamlin, driver of the number 11, Toyota Camry for Joe Gibbs Racing, and co-owner of 2311 with Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick, the brake rotor guys this weekend. My co-host, Jared Allen. Uh, Jared D. Allen, if you're looking him up. I mean, the guy is getting so much fanfare now. Jared, how are you feeling? I mean, I feel like you need your own hero cards now. I try to just lay low at the racetrack. Yeah, sure he does. Uh, I mean, I don't need my own hero cards. Definitely did you? Not. Are you hearing now? Hey, purple vest guy. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the the cheers or chants, whatever, are growing. Uh, increasingly over the next over the last couple weeks, it's good. People are tuning in. Nothing listening. was as North Wilkesboro was. I mean, we need security for that one. No, I we can work on your own detail. We can. Um, yeah, it's uh, we're coming off Gateway. Um, what was supposed to be a hot, steamy weekend in Gateway? I didn't think it was very. It hot was a hundred percent. Wow! Even remember when we walked in the bus on Saturday morning. I was just like, wow, this is it's not bad at all. And you're like, God, are you kidding me? It's so hot. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just, I don't typically get bothered by heat as much as some people. It, it's just it's built very interesting. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, just kind of recapping last week. That was a tough week for me physically, for sure. I was my trainer. He, 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 he was my uh, guardian of my recovery. Uh, he was making me get in sauna 10 minutes, do a little quick workout, try to get stuff flowing and then get back in the sauna, then go up in the ice plunge and hang out in there. So we did that for three straight days, uh, starting on Wednesday. I, I didn't want to do any of that. I had two massages, uh, 
um, all that definitely helped. How long does it typically take to, to get over something like that when you're in a wreck? Well, I think that for me that it definitely reminded me and I told Chase this that like, whew, that that's a reminder how old I am. Like it, I was like, oh, oh, I can't go through much more of that. Like it was, it was massive. It really was. And I, you know, you know, you never like to learn through real life being a crash dummy, but you know, there are some things that I noticed that we could do better on the safety side too, that, uh, we worked on for gateway. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, water under the bridge for sure. Um, and I think, uh, we're, we were ready to move on and, and go compete for a win at gateway, which I thought after practice, we really were going to have a great shot at it. I thought when the track was sunny and hot, man, I just thought we had the field covered, um, in practice. And unfortunately a little bit of temperature change and things change a lot with these cars. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I guess for you then, if, if you had the, if you're saying you had the field covered for, for, uh, uh, sunny conditions. We had none of that. We had a, yeah. a, a wreck on lap five cause of caution. And then immediately after right so under the same caution, we had a, a lightning hold that lasted for two hours and, and took this race in, into the nighttime. It was like a Coke 600, but 300 <laughs> miles instead. Yeah. And, and I made a comment to you or you made a comment first after the race saying, well, man, that turned the one of the shortest races or maybe it was uh, John, our bus driver said, Man, I took one of the shortest races into the longest race. And I was like, it's actually not that short because you know, people think, oh, 300 miles, this is going to be a quick race. Well, you have to base it off of the mile per hour that you run at the racetrack. So when you think about it, uh, in a 400-mile race at, say, Kansas, right, our average speed's probably in the high 170s, 180s. Here, I don't know the numbers, but I'm going to guess 150-ish, somewhere in that range. So we're running 30 less miles per hour when we are running. So we're running 240 laps here at this racetrack where we're running 33, 34 seconds. Well, Kansas, we're running 30 seconds or maybe 31 seconds. So, and it's only 20 more laps. So it's, it, it's, it's kind of deceiving when you look at the, it's a 300 mile race and think, well, it's short. Well, it's not because, you know, like Richmond, 400 laps there. Oh my gosh, because of the average pace and it's slow, it, it takes forever. So I, I, how do they come up with the laps or the miles for each of I always thought it was relative, where it's like, okay, we have a three-hour window. We want this mm -hmm. race to fit in it. Boom, this is the math equation. Yeah, that's that probably the what they do. Um, you know, TV has a window, which they like to see as far as, okay, well, they use the average speed and right. they say, all right, we bake in a few, you know, some cautions and stage breaks and whatnot. And we think that the race will take X amount of time. Well, of course that doesn't include rain delays. They don't plan on rain delays. Right. You can't do that. Um, but the thing is with these high straightaway speed, low speed corner tracks, once you get a caution inside 50 to go, <laughs> you're going to just, it's just going to keep coming. It doesn't matter if it's Martinsville um, Indy road course where yeah, it could be Watkins Glen. Now on road courses, they tend to let things go a little bit more because you've got a, a minute to clean the track up before the leaders get back around. Uh, but yeah, cautions definitely breed cautions at tracks like this. All right. Well, before we, before we get to gateway, let's, let's go back a little bit because we had some midweek news, um, before gateway. The first of which is that NASCAR announced that the championship race is going back to Phoenix in 2024 so the next two seasons obviously this one and the next one mm -hmm. championship will be decided at phoenix 
Um, yes, I mean, I, I I like it because I like the venue. I mean, I'm, I'm partial to that area. Um, I like the racetrack. If we could fix the the tire a little bit there, um, I think that it gets a bad rap because I think it has a not so good tire at that racetrack. Um, and so I think uh, it, it always sells out. Fans always come in a big, big way to that race. It's hard for me to, I mean, where else are you going to go in November, right? Um, that's why I, fans obviously want this to move around. I think that's mm-hmm. the, you know, the common, fair. Yeah, what they're looking for. But I think it's harder than that, right? Because again, yeah. what you just asked, where are you going to go in November? You don't have too, too many options. You don't. I mean, when you look at the average temperature of the first week of November, I, I don't know, anywhere kind of above North Carolina. I mean, you can have some cold North Carolina early Novembers, but usually it's it's okay. Um, you just want to have a good place. Like, that's why Homestead Miami was such a great venue for, for the championship finale. It was always 80-some degrees, and it was beautiful. Yep. Same thing when you go to Phoenix during that time. It's It's beautiful weather, and again, you're getting fan support there. So, why why wouldn't you? Um, but I get it from a competition standpoint where, hey, you know, we we're, we're keep going back to the same place. The racing hasn't been spectacular there. Um, I understand both sides of that argument. Yeah, if the racing was really good at Phoenix, I don't think we'd have any arguments about this. Agree, agree. But we there there's things we can do to fix that. I mean, if you look at, generally speaking, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the race and, and how it went, Reminder to all the folks out there that this is the same. What we raced here this weekend was the same tire we race it. Gateway, Richmond, North Worksboro, and Phoenix. This track, this tire does not have a good record, and it just shows. I mean, think about this. <laughs> North Worksboro, the most abrasive surface we have on on our schedule, and we ran the same tire there that we ran here at Gateway. That tire is so durable and wears so little at, you know, a, a track like North Worksboro that it, then they put it on Gateway, it's it, it's not going to wear at all, which it didn't. Like the left side tires just did not have any wear at all. So it's also scheduled to be, it was, was scheduled to be our Loudon, New Hampshire tire. I think they need to scrap this tire personally and just go with whatever the new development tire they have for New Hampshire. So they went up there and tested after Goodyear came to us and says, we get it. We know the tires are too hard. We were very conservative first week. If you've heard the previous podcast, you've heard me say this before, but we've got a new short track tire now. Let's just go ahead and implement it at all those other racetracks because this tire is, it's not him. (laughs) That's for sure. It's not him. Yeah, this is episode 18 or something, more tire woes, right? Every episode seems like there's something about yeah. tire. So how do you, how does this well, conversation it's too good. evolve? It's too good. Uh, let's give Goodyear credit. They, these tires don't blare, blow out. Uh, if they were on your street car, they would last about 25 years <laughs> or at least. So they build great tires for li- for re- reliability, but it's just for competition standpoint. Um, you're going to have to have more lap time fall off. Uh, I was looking, I always come in after the bus, you see me, I go straight to the scoring monitor to see how did my lap time stack up versus the field. Uh, I've got a nice graph, i got nice data and all inside my bus where like when I watch Xfinity race, watch a truck race, 
I can constantly monitor different lines on the racetrack and, and how that equates to lap time. And so um, I, I think that it, it really is telling when I look and the entire field is all in the same second bracket. Like even when you would say, let's just say the nine car was terrible, okay, running 20-something, he was still in the same band of lap times that all of us were, even the right. guys that were up front. But once it gets strung out, it's just everyone falls off at the same rate of speed uh, because it's a tire heat thing, not a wear thing. So you just cool your tires right back off, and then, bam, you can make another run at it. So um, I do. I'd love to see Goodyear just scrap this tire and say, we're not going to run this tire anymore. Um, it, it's not It's not it for sure. Um and, and go with that new developmental tire. And I, and I looked at it. It's a small, it's, it's a gain. Let's not, you know, oversell too much. Um, I talked to Christopher Bell who did the test and he was like, it runs faster on the, on the, on the short end. And it does fall off a little bit more on the back end. Not, not a ton, but it, you know, it's a couple tenths. Listen, a couple tenths could go a long way in competition. So, right. um, just hope, Hope we're continuing to work on the short track tire because I don't think this entirely... This was the intermediate package, people. So this is not the short track package, which I'm good with that because this track has long straightaways. You want to have the ability to draft up to the car in front of you. And it just didn't seem like the corners, you lose so much in the corners here that it takes the entire straightaway for you to suck back up and draft, get to the car that's in front of you. And by the time you get there, Bam, you got to take another corner. You lose all your time again. So um, that's what makes IndyCar so great at Indy is because the straightaways are long. They got super long drafts, and then they make slingshot passes at the end of the straightaway because it's a timing thing. And when they're on new tires, they can run closer to each other in the corners, which is why you see after a while things string out. Then it becomes passing becomes tougher. But um, let's do it. Goodyear, let's let's put this new Loudon tire on all of our short tracks from from here on out. Right, because surely this is all predictable, right? If you have X tire, this tire you just ran, is, we're just going to call it X tire. You ran that North North Wilkesboro, which is an abrasive surface, as you said. Which any, means any track going forward is going to be less abrasive, and it didn't work at North Wilkesboro. So right. Just throw it out altogether, I, and anything you you, new. You're no sci racing scientist, and it seems pretty simple to you, right? Yeah, it just can't be worse than what you just had. So it's just, I mean, I look, look at the Gluck poles, right? Uh, shout out to our boy Jeff Gluck and his poles because it's it's a pretty good telling story, right? Gateway right now is at 63%. Was it a good race? Richmond was 80. Um, I'm not sure why Richmond was 80. Uh, Kyle Larson won it, but I don't know how he won it. Maybe it was the end of the, I'm not really sure that let's not crap on Richmond home track. Love it. So, um, but let's average them out. You got 63% currently for gateway 80 for Richmond, North Worksboro, 49%, uh, Phoenix, 44.8%. I don't know what Phoenix is, uh, has been in other re races as well, but I can't imagine it's been very, high. I can't imagine it's very high. Right. So you average all that out. It's 50 50. Uh, yeah, it's low 60s, probably percentage wise. That's not, that's not it. That's, we, let's, that's not it. We need to have more lap time variability. I'm going to keep saying it till we get it. <laughs> but it just, you know, track position was a big deal. You saw it in the truck race as well. Uh, Zane Smith, 
I was very intrigued to watch how that strategy played out. Uh, he stayed out um, on 50 lap lefts. He took rights, and I watched, and he ran like 10 qualifying laps in a row once he got out front. So it just, it's just a thing where he, he, they recognize there's just not enough tire wear to, to put on four tires, and um, we knew it. I, I knew my, I had my shot to win, and that was my pit crew gets me out front of the guys that pitted. Kyle Larson stayed out. And he controlled the restart, so I had to take the inside lane. I ran right beside him down the front stretch, stayed beside him in the corner. I didn't clear him off the corner, and I'm, like, looking up, and there's the eight car pushing him. I'm like, God dang it. Eight car gets around me now because the five pulls down in front of us in turn three, and then the eight gets on the outside of him. And then I, I knew right then I was like, race over. I mean, there just wasn't going to be a pass for the lead, and I – don't know that there was after one lap on a restart. No, there was not. At least yeah. not while Kyle Busch was leading. Hey, guys, I have some uh, Phoenix polls from last year. The first race was 70% yes, they liked it. The second race was 28%. Oh. That was the championship race? Yes. Gosh, dang it. And then the previous year. I mean, it's a great sport. Phoenix now. 2 was 80%. The championship. Race. I think and a Phoenix lot of one was sixty three percent. Yeah, so it's all over the board. So that tells you that a lot of times it comes down to who won the race. Was it a green white checkered? Like, because if it goes green, there there ain't much. There ain't much there. It, it there really isn't. Um, again, because if there's any lap time fall off, it comes from tire heat, not tire wear. It needs to come from tire wear. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. I I just can't remember leaving phoenix recently thinking man that was a good race yeah but i mean let's think about it from the, the sports town it's a great track is the yeah, track is great great uh, the amenities are great yep. the uh you know it, it always it's sold out even before it was a championship race it's just it's a great place it just you know it's not aerodynamics oh my gosh i can't say it enough Let's stop fiddling with the aerodynamics on these racetracks and fix the rubber. 14 car hit with massive penalty this week. Uh, 120 driver and owner points, 25 playoff points, six-week suspension for crew chief John Klossmeyer, and 250K fine for a counterfeit underwing part, and they will not appeal it. Yeah, and you heard Chase Briscoe say, man, we're fortunate it's not worse than that. <laughs> So I think you kind of have it there where, you know, more than likely, I think someone probably knew it's hard to speculate because you're not in that building, but somebody was sweating bullets when that car got taken <laughs> to R&D. They were just like, oh boy, you know, because they take apart. I mean, our 45 car when they took it was, I mean, can't, they took a picture of it and it's just a bunch of parts laying on a, in, on a garage floor. It's like, they go through everything. It is very uh, thorough uh, investigation, but it's what we need in our sport. You, you know, NASCAR needs to continue doing this for sure because it helps. It, it really helps the integrity of our sport stay true to what it's supposed to be, and that's uh, everyone running legal. And you just don't know when your number might get drawn. Um, you know, they did say at the beginning of the year that every car will go to the R and D center at some point. Now, I think that if you have cars that are dominant, maybe they need to go multiple times. Uh, make sure you get everyone at least once. Uh, but then 
you know, you don't want to have, you know, let's just say the 11 team. Well, we've already gone through there, so now we can start to push it, like because we're not going to go back. Like you always got to have a chance that you're you're going to go back there. Uh, that would keep keep all all of us in line for sure. Yeah, uh, this seems super consistent so far this season. NASCAR issuing out these penalties, which makes me think, what is there possibly to gain from something like this? Um, Knowing that your car could go to R and D, it doesn't sound like this it, is very difficult to to find it it seems dumb enough that it maybe it was a error in 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 on the team's part like it wasn't supposed to be on i mean i don't know it, it seems it just seems dumb enough to where you you would think well they wouldn't surely be that dumb like they're I but the car wasn't running very good to begin with so yeah i mean there are a lot goes into that but it, i mean it makes their argument seem a little bit more legit to me that it was just a quality control era but it doesn't matter from an NASCAR standpoint right. they're not there to manage your your company they're just there to say what's right and wrong right now another question following up on that is that if NASCAR takes the 14 car and they find this or or any car for that matter they find something wrong with it is there a way or should they be able to then go take the four car or the the teammates cars and look for that same part on those cars or is that that's not possible uh, it's possible but not realistic uh by the time they find that stuff on the 14 car the four car is also in pieces or whatever and it's on the race shop floor like they immediately after they get it back from the racetrack they'll rescale it check all the points make sure all, everything's still in line they'll post it which means that they'll um check it over to see quality control has everything stayed in place uh check out their processes, see if, how they could get better there. And then they'll also back it up versus what NASCAR's data or scan of was of the car. And then they'll check it post-race to see has things moved or whatnot so they can help their processes and, and, and whatnot. But it's by then the car's in pieces and you'll never, <laughs> if it was a 14, they'd be like, yeah, the NACA, you want to see that? Uh, it's, it's over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it, it wouldn't work like that. And, and you can't hold them um, and say, all right, well, we're checking the 14. Y'all don't tear it apart or leave it frozen until we're done with the 14. Right. Because, like, look, look, honestly, is it just on the 14 car? Unlikely, right? Usually it's whatever's on one's on multiple. Um, but you, that's that's speculation. It's, it's really hard to say. Uh, but you would assume so. But you can't hold them because we need these cars and parts. We don't have the cars that we used to. We don't have 14 cars per car number. We have seven. And at some teams, they don't, you know, with wrecks and things like that, you're probably lucky to have six per car number. So you got to turn that car around pretty quickly. If you had more cars, though, could you, could you force teams to hold the car until Wednesday before tearing it down? Uh, sounds expensive. I'm out on that. I'm not buying more cars. <laughs> how can you guys? How can they say it's a quality control if it's a counterfeit part? That's like like spending money, and they're like, "That's a counterfeit 20. You're like, "Oh, quality control." Like, oh, I didn't mean to have that in my wallet. Like, how did you have the counterfeit part in the shop to begin with? Counterfeit could mean multiple things, though, right? I mean, we haven't seen the part. It. We need to see it because did they attempt to put serial numbers on it? <laughs> official stickers if they did then yikes that's that's intent um if it's a 3d printed part 
that they didn't attempt to make it look real, then maybe that's a quality control issue. So I think you don't know until you see the part. Uh, you got to see that they intend to deceive your eyes when you looked at it. Or was it just flat out someone picked up the wrong piece and put it on the car? It's hard. Again, that's really hard to do, especially for a company like Stuart Haas. But you just never know. It's hard to speculate. Is there anything to gain from like printing a fake part as like a dummy piece? Like, oh, let's see what this looks like here. And then when we get the real part, we'll take it off and... Um, sure. For a company like Stuart Haas that has a ton of CNC machines and whatnot, you could use it for various things. You could uh, pick cars. <clears throat> they have uh, they just posted pictures of their two pick cars. Well, you don't want to spend go out and spend a bunch of money off the shelf, you know, because you got if you want to build a legit next-gen next car, it's going to cost you about $300,000 all in, where they can go manufacture all those parts for much cheaper within their own building but it has to be used for off-track things. Show cars could be could could be a lot of things. Mm. See, now that makes me think that yeah, it was just a quality control See, issue. See, it could sway you either way. All right, moving on to to this weekend and all the races. Uh, let's start up in up in Portland, and you watched that race on TV. What did what did you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I it's it was interesting. Just an interesting course layout. Like, I never really paid attention to the first Portland race, uh, but I did this one because it, it just the timing worked out where I was I wouldn't do anything. So I was watching on the bus the Portland race, and I was like, uh, all right, well, this guy's... No one ever pulled away. Like, the way the course kind of goes around, it seemed like whoever was leading was kind of holding up the next four cars in line. Um, you thought the Creed had it, but it was like, eh. The 20 car looked the best, but just never could the lead without contact and then you know once he got the lead it seemed like guys would run him down and so it was an entertaining race from from my standpoint um just very methodical how some of the corners are it's just like you were always turning and bending not many straightaways at that racetrack so lots of contact it looked like um parker clearman he was going for it there at the end um <clears throat> To give Parker, too, some credit, his car would not, as you saw it, if you watch it on TV, his car was leaning a lot. So it means like they had, you know, very little, you know, bar in the car to keep it level. Um, and, you know, probably very, very soft rear springs. So that picks up the left front tire, picks up the right front tire, every, every corner, sharp corner. And you do that to get keep forward bite in the car, which is forward bite means when you hit the gas, when the tires get old, hot, and slick, your car launches a little bit better. The downside to that, though, is that it doesn't corner quite as good because you don't have all four tires on the racetrack. And in restart situations, you're more apt to lock up tires. And so while he was going for it, and I give him credit for that, I don't know that he had a car to go for it. And and at the time, he's not thinking about, well, my car's not really capable of this, and it's yeah. not been really strong on restarts all day. But he saw an opportunity to, to charge the bottom. He wasn't going to lift until the car on the outside of him lift. But his car, as soon as, he, and as soon as you hit the brakes hard and you turn the wheel on a car that that's, is that soft, you're going to lock up a tire. And that's what he did and kind of wiped out the first three there. And then here comes Cole Custer. Uh, like, hey, thank you. Third car on the uh, inside line uh, cleans it out. But maybe Custer had about one of the best cars as well. He was pretty strong, had to go to the back. He got spun. Um, so 
it was an entertaining race. It, you know, usually always is when it comes to Xfinity. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast as the content person on this show can you pull up uh chandler smith's twitter there on your laptop i don't know can i i'll have to look it up uh here you you have not seen this yet (laughs) man we knew that was gonna happen gosh darn it Said it before the show. Don't spill the coffee. I'll look it up here. Uh, just spilled my coffee all over the place. Those who don't know, too, I'm, I'm a new coffee guy. Not till 2023 did I have my very first cup of coffee. Um, and now, of course, I'm, I'm stuck. I have to. What have did one. I tell you when you hit your head on the chandelier? Twice, by the way. I did. I've had a bad morning. Leave me alone. I said, don't spill your coffee. It's fine. It's fine, people. Um, all right, Chandler Smith. Do you want to move that over a little more now, or are you going to put it back in the same spot? <laughs> I'm trying to keep it out of the camera. Leave me alone. All right. Uh, Gosh. Uh, Chandler Smith follows me. I'm going to, yep, I'm going to give him a follow back. Oh boy. Great video. Oh, Chandler. Big dub. Big dub on the video. Oh, that's great. Um, I don't know who helped him on the social side because, you know, it's not easy doing this. Uh, That's why you're hired. But, oh, great content there. That's fantastic. Um, (laughs) You can see Jeb kind of trying to do the old hammer yeah the hammer just make any contact anything like you're trying because 
the crew guys got in the middle of it. And next thing you know, you, when you're wrapped up, it's like, you know, you just try to get any kind of gavel punch that you possibly can on someone. But <laughs> that was awesome. I saw, you know, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about the video. Let's see that in an instant replay. Um, I, you know, I, you, I watched it from the beginning of when Jeb said that uh, Chandler got into him. I saw it in, in the final turn. You saw Jeb run him down. Then Chandler got into him again. They're both <laughs> crossed up. And then Chandler <laughs> finished him off in turn three. I see Jeb's point. I, I do about, uh, you know, how many times did you attempt to wreck me and you finally just make sure you got it done? So it's, it, I, I, I empathize a little bit with Jeb there, but I the Chandler's video kind of makes me not really care. Yeah, so, he wins. He wins the weekend yeah, on the video. Yeah, for sure. And Jeb was having a great weekend too. Like he, he was good during practice and he, he – kind of run the top 12 most of the day so um that you know it sucks for a team like his who's like grinding so hard you know you sure it was a hard grind just for them to get out to portland on time and uh for them to have a good solid day kind of taken away at the end god that's that's racing and it sucks so bad when that happens yeah you mentioned you just mentioned they're getting out to portland i think it was was it jordan no because jeb races for jordan anderson's team someone's team two haulers didn't make it out to portland tommy joe Tommy Joe Martins. Yeah, yeah. And so you yeah, was kind of watching. He said that, you know, NASCAR was helping facilitate getting his haulers there to the track. And you saw him pull up on pit lane, and everyone else's team has got, like, their pit boxes set up and everything, and he's just rolling his cars in there. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough on those teams for sure, and especially with the short week. I mean, ultra short week for them to have to go from a Monday race to uh, a Monday night race, of all things, um, and then – haul ass to portland right after all right down to st louis for the cup race um as we mentioned earlier got five laps in had a had a weather delay uh two hour lightning hold and during that lightning hold your front tire changer lost a tooth a, a tooth a lip just about everything um i was sitting on top of the pit box just kind of chilling you know shooting the with gabe Hart, and you just hear a loud you was like whoa and then you hear him instantly say i was like uh-oh and i guess the regulator bust uh, they were working on it and even though it's turned off you still got pressure in the line so um when it disconnected or bust or whatever happened it flew out hit him right in the face and um took out a tooth and i mean his upper lip was just kind of dangling there for a second and i mean it was the blood was perfume Travis is just not doing well so, with it. Uh, and and so I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, like I, I, I'm this, this is terrible for him, first of all, but then like I'm cursed. Like <laughs> under red, we now lose a crew guy, but AJ, the man, he, he, he sucked it up and they gave me their best weekend on pit road to date. So shout out to my 11 team for a great day on pit road and, he, uh, I guess he's got to go to a plastic surgeon today to get the stitches out and then kind of redo his upper lip there. Can you explain that to me like I'm six? Because I have no idea what a regulator bust is. Okay. <laughs> uh, the regulator is basically on top of the the air bottles that are inside the pit cart. So the, okay. the pit the cart. So how you get air to the guns that change the tire yeah. is there's 
big bottles that are in the pit box. Yeah. And on top of that, there's a regulator. So you see, um, you regulate how much pressure basically comes through the line. Yep. Okay. So it's a it's a it's like a brass piece that you you'll see. Okay. And so if they're turning on it or whatever, it could bust and break, and the next thing you know, the hose that's connected to the top of the regulator can fly off, and it's like I, I don't know. You ever seen a? So it's like a hose is not connected. Is hose yes. is not connected to the? Yes, yeah. and it's just you know, whoosh, whoosh, yeah. looking around. Yeah. yeah, like it does that. So, but the end of the hose has a piece of metal on it, and that thing is. It whips around, hits you in the face. Okay, got it. Yeah, so you paint the picture now a yeah, little better. So you got to turn off that before you... Un- and then you got to hit the trigger on the gun to get all the pressure out of the line. Got it. So it's like a water hose, right? When you got to cut- get the water out before you... Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got you to gotta hit, hit the gun to get the water out on a garden hose, and you got to hit the gun to get the air out, which is why at the end of the race, you'll hear them go... It's it just they're getting all the air out of the pressure. Got it. See, see now I can relate to that. Now I get it. <clears throat> okay. okay. So basically, that it, a wild hose came and smacked him in the face, took out his tooth and upper lip. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, they he stayed in the in the race and 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 they did a good job on pit road. Yeah, and and uh, also shout out to Michael Hicks, the twenty team, the fifty four team, nineteen team. Uh, they all came down and tried to help out our team. Uh, you know, get all that fixed. Uh, and which for me, I was like, oh, we need another lightning strike. Cause like we needed to buy time because we had to go get another part and retrofit it and whatnot. So, um, you know, they, they definitely, you know, we needed all the minutes we did of that rain delay or lightning delay. This race was, uh, the one year anniversary of you and Chastain's mix up last year. Uh, kind of had a little, another one, uh, not nearly as, uh, uh, TV, TV worthy, you know, mm-hmm. but him and Michael McDowell, Michael yeah. McDowell had, had said, oh, I guess that's what, it, this is what it means to get Chastain. Cause <laughs> uh, he got, he got run up the track a little bit. Yeah. I mean, listen, of all the people on pit road, I've said multiple times, the person I'd least like to be, be in a scuffle with is Michael McDowell for sheer size. And, you know, uh, you know, when he put uh, Suarez on the hood of his car, like <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably got some country strong to him. So, um, but yeah, you know, I looked at the wreck. Um, I guess you, you definitely could label it as a racing deal for sure. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, Chastain made a three wide move into turn one contact is inevitable at that point. So the, the 34 car, while he did not give the, the one a lot of room, he had no choice. It's either he either goes up and makes contact with Joey, who's on three wide on the outside, to give Chastain room, or he just pinches Chastain and says, you really should be lifting here. So what happens is when you go down the straightaway and someone makes a last-minute dive bomb into to three wide on the bottom, it's not, it's not a bad move, but you're putting the two outside guys in a very, very tough position where contact is almost inevitable because the middle guy cannot react enough to, Oh, I got to give you room. And then, well, sorry, whoever's on the outside. Like if you really put the middle guy in in a spot where it's just two last minute contact's going to happen. And usually the middle guy's going to get the crap into the stick because he's either going to get spun by the inside guy. 
like what happened here, or he's going to go up and his right front's going to get in the 20s, uh, 22's door and he either gets spun that way. So while it's technically not Chastain's fault because, hey, I'm on the inside, I'm here, the, the late dive just makes it very difficult for the two outside parties to not um, get the crap into the stick. Yeah, you kind of saw something similar at North Wilkesboro also with Michael McDowell in the open race. Um, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, same kind of thing there. Um, it's just a, I, I get it because it's the desperation of like, oh, I see an opportunity to get a, a row worth of cars here on a restart. And because they know once we get two laps in, it's done. There is no more passing. Um, so, I mean, NASCAR took more gear out of the cars again at, at this racetrack, which forced us to shift one more extra time per lap. Uh, we we were running fourth only through three and four, uh, but since they took more gear out this time around, we, I mean, it was one, two, three, four. I, how many shifts is that? Uh, eight shifts per lap, or is that 16 shifts per lap? Uh, I don't know. Either way, it's a lot. It's a lot of shifts per lap, and which is why passing also is difficult because, like, I get a run on somebody coming off the corner, and bam, they grab a gear. Bam, I lost my run. So it's just, man, if we can, if we can fix the tire and the shifting, we're, we're going to be a much better place on these short tracks. But it, it's difficult when we keep dropping the gear out of the car because it's forcing us. It, it, it makes us have to shift to make lap time. Is that why I was watching the race? And remember here, I, I don't have all the technical knowledge mm -hmm. of being a race car driver. But watching before the uh, cameras went down, watching your in-car camera when you were running third behind Blaney earlier in the race, is that... You could see you gaining on Blaney into the corner. It's like, oh, well, he just got a really good run on him. And then vroom, Blaney's just gone on the backstretch. Yeah. Is that kind of what? It is because eventually I get in their wake. Eventually I have to run the same line as them. Um, and then the gain that we make down the straightaway because of the draft just doesn't. It's interesting as draggy as the cars are, which means like by themselves, the straightaway speed that they have is so low. Um, you would think we'd be able to suck up down the straightaway and get bigger runs, but we just don't for some reason um, with with this intermediate package. Maybe the spoiler's not big enough or whatever, but it's, um, it is. It's just eventually you, you, we all have to run. Like, we're all searching around. You saw the track actually widen out. The reason the track widened out is because this tire just lays down greasy rubber, and so we're trying to find the least amount of grease like and it and as the tires get hotter it it the rubber lays down and then we search for cleaner pavement which is why we're chasing the racetrack up while we're going up the later the run gets the higher it goes but the problem is is that under caution we clean up all the rubber that's on the racetrack if you look the track will get really dark after a 30 lap run then watch it a couple laps um during caution, it looks brand new and shiny and gray again. Uh, we've seen it many years at Dover, but now this racetrack, it does it right off, you know, it, it does it and, it and it's a tire thing that it lays down rubber, but it lays down rubber that gets picked back up. So it's not, it's just, it's just greasy. Is it getting picked back up because cars are running? Over yeah. So your hot tires. Under caution? Yeah. Yes. So instead okay. of us going through the corners, sliding and continuing to lay down more rubber, I don't know that we're laying down that much rubber because they're not wearing. But anyway, our tires then are hot. So then it's like a, 
It's like taking um, a piece of duct tape and rolling it around your hand and trying to get the lint off your shirt. So we're doing that, but with the track surface. We're constantly rolling and, and it's picking up all the that hot, greasy rubber and putting it back on the tire, which then is why you see us swerving so much to get all that back off of our tires. Because if we didn't clean our tires, we'd go into turn one on a restart and just go dead straight. Yeah, man, we're making some serious progress. When you can relate the super technical racing to picking up the lint on your t-shirt, big time. <laughs> all right, thanks, Jared. <laughs> um, so that was Michael McDowell, Ross Chastain. That was beef number one. Uh, not that big of a deal. But beef number two. Uh, Austin Sindrick and Austin Dillon. And before the show started, we you were really you were really digging into this. Well, only because um, some some big accusations were thrown out there, right? From from Austin Dillon. And um, again, I'm I'm in the race car. I have no idea what's going on. These guys are racing for 13th and 14th. But I ran down here because I'm like, I, I got to get my car. I got to get my computer charged because I want to see this on SMT. Uh, SMT is the data that I tweeted out last week. And I looked at it on S SMT because AD has uh, uh, said publicly that it's the same as what happened. I mean, the, the easiest way is kind of look at the two car from previous laps. Like they're going down the straightaway, right? So he should be holding a steady wheel straight. And... First thing I, I looked at before I looked at the steering and it was like the the two car, I was like, whoa, where is he going? Like through the middle, like there was no room really between the three and the 47. Like I didn't know where he was going anyway, even if he wasn't mad at the three. But then I went back a few laps. I'm like, why is he, why, you know, if it was intentional, why was he pissed? And then you look back uh, several laps before I think it's uh, you know six laps before it was during the quick cautions that we had the three car like he pulled a slider but it wasn't even a slider he gave the two actually a fair amount of room and then you saw the two go down the back straightaway and just kind of like rub up against the three's door and it was like oh wow you were mad at that I guess and then he tried to put it in a hole that was not there. And then he turned left. Now, was it as much as Chase's or Bubba's? No. But down the straightaway, he turned left on the three. Now, it looks different, and it definitely does not look as egregious because the 47 car is there. So this 47 car caught the three car. It would have been a head-on impact if the 47 car wasn't there. Uh, the 47 said after the race that he thought he didn't quite understand why the two hooked the right rear in the, in the uh, of the three car. And you go back and you look at it, and it's like, oh, man, like that doesn't, it doesn't look good. Um, is it as egregious? No. But there's no reason to be turning left there. I mean, especially you're one week after the whole chase thing. They, you know NASCAR is on a heightened alert. Like, what do you... I, that's just a lapse in judgment by Cindric. What are you doing? Like, if you're mad at him, just go in the next corner and bump into the back of him. Like, you don't have to wreck him, but, like, just bump him. And by the way, you've already shown your displeasure before. You've already done it once. 
and now he just took it to another level, and it's just I, I don't know why these guys aren't learning that NASCAR has drawn a line in the sand. So what are you doing this for? Why are you even making it close? Um, it, it just it, it can, doesn't look good. I, I just it don't, I don't like it for sure. Can you see? Uh, Austin Dillon's traces is he staying straight uh, down the straightaway there because on the in the replay in the video right because people don't have access to this SMT data in the video it there's a brief very brief moment it looks like Austin I guess both people are called Austin named Austin so Cindric uh -huh. uh, the two car uh, cuts down to the left very briefly but also it looks like AD uh -huh. is just drifting up the track ever so slightly which I think leads to Clint Boyer arguing that, you know, this looked like a racing deal. Yes. And I see both sides of it. I, I do. But if you didn't know, you would say it's a racing deal. But the two cars clearly miffed at the three car. So, and, and he, you shouldn't be turning left on the straightaway. I just, I don't. I don't agree with that, and, and trust me, I'm I'm just sensitive to it because I know that if the three hits head on there, um, it hurts. It's not a uh, it's not a good thing, and he would have right entering turn one there if the 47 car wasn't there. So will NASCAR look at you know they said they're going to look at it. Do they take the severity of the incident into factor? I'm I'm sure they will, um, but certainly. Um, there was some intent behind it. Now, I don't know that he was like, all right, I'm going to right rear hook the three into the fence here. Um, but that was the result. Well, what does the eye test say? What, if, what, what is your gut on how NASCAR responds to this? Because, as you said, there is a line in the sand, but this incident seems way closer to that line than the previous two incidents. I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't know. This would be one of those... It would be one of those where it's like, I see what you're doing here. I see what you were trying to do. Um, but the result was the same. So is while it may not be as egregious and the, and the wreck was not as severe, the intent was there. So it's a tough spot. It is a tough spot. Um, I don't know. My gut says they won't do anything. Um, but is that right? I, I don't know that that's right. Is there room to make officiating calls on this during the race since you have that SMT data? They could, but man, is that better than, I mean, I'm sitting here, Jared, 24 hours later and like, I'm still like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Right. I mean, you just don't know. And then, you know, they're trying to get this race going. It's running way over time anyway. They're just trying to do the best they can to get this show on the road. Like, we're, you can't hold up the race and just have it run us under caution because you're, you're trying to officiate this. Now, if you had a designated person to it, first of all, you're going to, they're going to say, oh, well, that's just a racing deal, right? But then you've got to hear AD saying, wait a minute, no, that's bullshit. Oh, so that means I need to look into this. Like, it's just, it, that takes a time and it's a process, which is why NASCAR doesn't hand out penalties till a day or two after because they, they got to take all the factors in play.
Well, speaking of SMT data, uh, teams did not have it for a portion of this race as we lost power mid-race. They were under caution for uh, a, quite a while. Um, when you're in the car, obviously Chris Gabart tells you, hey, I have no data on the pit box. I need you to give me as much information as possible. How does that change racing for you or does it? It doesn't change it a lot for me, but it definitely changed it for the teams. Um, I saw where NASCAR or someone posted that uh, this was a fiber issue that was outside the, the racing uh, track. Um, I know that Gateway actually had the, the lights blow out um, uh, a few years ago. And so you're like immediately thinking, oh, they got a grid problem or something. But it, it sounded like uh, there was something outside um, uh, of their control. Um it changes it for the race teams a lot though. So like when you're making strategy calls, uh, yeah, I saw Rodney Childers' comments, uh, you know, listen, I don't, he's like, I didn't have any SMT, no, no, uh, laps on tires or fuel. So he's trying to make a strategy call. Now, again, we're all in the same boat, but a lot of times when you make strategy calls, it's because you're looking at the list of, well, who's got tires. When's the last time they pitted? How many tires did they take? How many laps on fuel can they go? And you take all that information and you put it in a pot and you stir it up and you say, all right, here's the best move for me. And so when you're riding blind like that, you really don't know who's in front of you and what strategy they're on. So it doesn't, it won't make your, uh, your call as informed as what it would be normally. Now hear me out. I'm reading Rodney's tweet right now and all these things he's, he's mentioning, no timing and scoring, no SMT, no laps on fuel or tires, no communication with engineers at the mm. shop. All of that was extremely frustrating. Would racing be better if you didn't have that on a regular basis? No, I don't think so. You can't go backwards, right? That's like saying, man, if we didn't have our cars so low to the ground and all the cars running same speed, we'd have great racing. Well, what do you want us to say? All right, let's forget all the knowledge that we've learned. Um, You know, the communication back at the shop uh, and engineers, so likely they're on some sort of intercom system uh, with the shop, they each, you know, a lot of the big teams have war rooms where they're looking at the race. They've got data and an- information, and they can give Rodney a heads up of, hey, we, th- the data shows or the or the simulation shows that we probably should pit here or not pit here or take two or fuel only. They give him an outsider's perspective because if you ask any crew chief that's ever been suspended, they say, man. When you take me away from the racetrack, I've got so much more information. So they really rely on the guys that are not in the bubble of the racetrack to give them level-headed information. Um, I mean, F1, they they have it. Race teams have it. It, it. That's hard to make us go back on and say, well, we shouldn't be communicating because telling people that... Well, maybe not communicating, but if you had less data to go by, wouldn't teams be further apart in, in what they're doing? Yes, but you're telling us to now to not have data? I'm just, I'm just hypothetically. So obviously, this is never going to happen. They're never going to take your computers away at the track and say, here, go race. But if they did... It's not going to make that big of a difference. It, it really won't. Um, because it, it shows even with the data that we do have, teams think strategies are different for them. Like, you know, the five car that stayed out. He was the only one that stayed out and took two tires on that pit stop. Um, well, he wasn't the only, there was others, but they got mixed into the field. Um, we never took two tires throughout the day. We just didn't think it was right for us. Um, 
So, I mean, it just everyone's got a different answer to the same equation. Brake rotors. This was another hot topic yesterday. Uh, Carson Hosovar, we'll get to that eventually. Um, Carson Hosovar lost a brake rotor. Both your 2311 cars lost a brake rotor. Uh, and there's one other guy in the field that, that lost one throughout the day. But what is, what is the cause of this? It, it depends. I mean, sometimes it can be too hot. Sometimes it can be too cold. You would think in the 2311s, uh, boat, it, it's hard to speculate. I mean, we don't, I've got my competition meeting there. Oh, 45 minutes. I got to get going. Um, it's, it's, it's tough to say theirs was right. You know, the 23s was right after restart. So you wouldn't think it'd be too hot. Uh, but was it after a red? You all know, right? So I think every driver's process or each uh, team's process to either keeping their brakes hot or cold under caution is different. Um, we just got to digest it. You know, I don't know what um, what their strategy was with tape uh, for the brakes, whether they were too hot, too cold. I don't know. It's, it's really hard for me to say because I'm not informed right here in the moment. But a lot of things could cause them to, to blow out. Um, you would think down the long straightaways they would cool back off. So we saw it with the four car. They, they blew one last year. Um, I think they blew a right rear, and he he hit hard in turn three. But man, when you're jammed up behind people, and you use you know the, you got to think about it, the, the we're going so fast down the straightaway, and we're using so much brake that it's something that's causing these rotors to explode. And and also remember, sometimes these teams are using different brake packages, so it's not a uniform brake package that we have to run at Gateway. You have a I don't know a lighter weight intermediate version or you have a short track version and one weighs more than another so as a team you're kind of debating well do i want to have good braking performance or do i want to have less weight um and and be able to put the weight where i want it so there's a lot of different options there for the race teams and you just don't know what leads into the failures that we had yeah you mentioned after a red there's a clip of kyle larson on twitter slowly rolling forward during a red yeah I Yep. Yeah, that's pretty common. We do that. Uh, all the cars in the front, we would do that about probably every couple of minutes. So you just don't want the brake pads to uh, lock into the rotors themselves. So the pad is that that clamps down on the rotor that is spinning around on the wheel. Um, if it sits there in one place, it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes it'll seat itself to that rotor. And then when you go back green, if you didn't slowly move, then you, you would you could have pad buildup on the rotor itself. And the next thing you know, you have a vibration. So every few minutes, all of us in the top 10, we were all, you know, doing the same thing. We would just creep forward a little bit after a few minutes, creep forward a little bit more just to keep it moving. Corey LaJoy filled in for Chase Elliott this week in the nine car. Carson, Carson Hosovar ran Corey's seven car, uh, who Carson was running around the top 15 until he lost the brake rotor. Uh, what do you make of those guys, uh, they're, they're different days mm -hmm. and their situations. I, I thought Carson did a great job, um, a, a good opportunity for him. And, um, you know, it, it definitely, you know, he's got a lot of good upside. He, he's definitely starting to run better in the trucks. And I saw he made some really good self-aware comments uh, about himself uh, this past week. And, um, again, I think he's a, a very high talent, uh, high ceiling type of driver. Uh, he really is. And, and he, you know, not having any next-gen experience or anything like that going out there and, and running competitively uh, is good. And it, it shows, too, that, that that seven car is pretty good. Um, 
as far as I'm aware, and from the information I've been given, the 7, 77, and 47 are all on the same plan with Chevy. So I think that those three all get the same information. So technically, you would think that all three of those should run the same. Now, the 47's running better than all of them. So, but they probably have slightly more funding. Maybe they have a few more engineers or something that help make the data that they do get a little bit better. But I think they're all on the same engine plan uh, from Hendrick, and they also get uh, technical information as well. So um, there, there you have it. It's not, it's not like, you know, the, the seven's been awful. They, they've definitely taken a step forward this year for sure, but the 47's taken the biggest jump, and he had another great run going this weekend where he was going to finish in the top 10. And then Corey LaJoy's day in the nine car? Obviously not, not a great day for him. Um, yeah, I, I feel bad for Corey because um, when you think about it, he probably had super high expectations for himself. And I think that it's not fair to judge based off of one race. Um, that's just my opinion. I, I think that, listen, when I watched his car in Durham practice, that thing was a handful. It's not like, you know, that any of the Hendrick cars were a ball of fire by any means. Now, the, the five, you know, got better throughout the race. Um, the 48, I think, probably was running about 12th, 10th, somewhere in that range throughout the race. That's what he was capable of. And then the 24 had good track position. And he was up front in the top five for the most of the race. The outlier would be the nine. But the nine practice was really bad. And even in qualifying, it was really bad. And you look at like just how their car was running down the straightaway. It was just like, man, he's got his hands full for sure. So it's um, I didn't think it was a super strong track for Hendrick to begin with. Um, so not the best you know, um, sample for, for Corey, but also if you would ask Corey, he probably would say, Hey, these guys are really good. Let's, you know, let's give them credit that, you know, these are really good professional race car drivers out here. And, 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 you know, like I said, for a long time, it's, these guys are pros and it's hard to do run up front week in, week out. That's it. That is just a challenge because everyone is so good. Um, but I know that, you know, certainly it, it was humbling for Corey, but I don't, I don't think that we we should put too much stock into it because it was a very tough situation, um, and I think that you know Corey still deserves to to have another shot, uh, and and hopefully you know he'll he'll get that shot soon. How difficult is it, um, both as a driver and a crew chief of a car, when you're like, okay, you're the crew chief, you're gonna have this new driver this week. Uh, you got a couple of days to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I guess it. as a crew chief, you're probably just going to lean on any your teammates' information uh, from previous races. Now, again, Hendrick wasn't very good there last year either, so they didn't probably have a great notebook to to lean off of. Um, then it relies on simulation, right? You, then they've got to go in the simulator and and try to uh, you know improve on their setup. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, um, and as a crew chief, you know, it's tough. I think that that team's had four different drivers in their car uh, through the first 14 races or 15 right, races. That camaraderie between the driver and crew sure, chief. Sure, yeah, is, is it important. definitely matters for sure. Yeah. And then uh, Kyle Busch wins his third race of the year, holds off on, on the five or so restarts at the end of this thing. Um, it's having a good year. Yeah, he is. He is and he isn't, but he is. You know, like it's like 
we were talking about after the race. It was just like, wow, he's got three wins. Like that's very, like I I don't know why it just sticks in my head. You know, kind of the poor runs that they've had, but when they're fast, they're he wins and he finishes yeah. really well. And and so Kyle's just you know again he's he's probably needs to be on the Mount Rushmore of of greatest drivers. Just you know the the, the numbers back it up. He is a great elite, uh, exceptional race car driver. And I'm noticing a trend though with that RCR in 18. Anywhere that Tyler Reddick run had ran well last year, they're fast. Anywhere that they struggled, they're not good. So there's something going on there that it's when when Tyler ran up front, Kyle's going to be good. You could just bookmark it. And so maybe it's, you know, it could be a sim thing. It could be a lot of different variables. But talking about Kyle's performance this weekend, it was first class elite. I mean, he qualified on the pole. And even when he got put back in traffic, he could make up a couple spots and and make speed. And then on the final, you know, with that restart that was so crucial for me when I was the first car off pit road, he was the next car off pit road. It put him on the outside lane with Larson. And it was so, I knew the whole race came down to, can I clear Larson off a of turn two? If I can't, I'm And I was because I didn't clear the five and the eights back there pushing him. So the five cleared me and it was game over after that. Um, and so he just was exceptional. He put himself in the right spot and he, he just drove the wheels off of it. So I'm happy for Kyle. I think that he's, um, I think this is a good career reset for Kyle, even though that like, you know, he, the last few years at JGR was some down years when, when you look at his expectations and what you expect him to do. But I think that, you know, he's, he, you know, he's a, he's a good do- dude and a great dad. And obviously he's, you know, doing a lot of racing with Brexton now, which I'm sure is, you know, great for him and Samantha. They're, they're loving life right now and winning races. So it, it's, it's great for them. And, um, you know, just envious of, of, you know, what he's able to do with no matter what car he's in, he's, he's going out there and performing. Here, here's a uh, Kyle's, uh, finishes starting with the Daytona. 19th, 1st, 14th, 8th, 10th, 2nd, 14th, 32nd, 21st, 1st, 21st, 35th, 7th, 22, 6th, 1st. I saw a chart like that, but it was Kyle Larson's Fox was doing it. The up, down, up, down. Because that's what all I remember, right? Is he there, is content. And and you know what? Be interesting to overlay. Somebody online did overlay it with uh, Reddick's, how well he ran in the previous year at those tracks. Like, Kyle's running really good at Reddick run tracks last year. And when he's when the, whenever their setups were off, it's like they didn't they're they're having str- trouble correcting him uh for Kyle this year. So um but man, they got three wins, first 14 races, 15 race how many 14 or 15. Anyway, um hats off to them. They're they're building playoff points. Um he's he, he's solid, man. He's he's he, he's making that organization better, and uh, they're going to be tough to beat when it comes down to the end of the year. I'm curious to what fans think because watching the races now, when Kyle wins, it just doesn't feel the same. <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, when the M&M's car was winning, it just, that was Kyle Busch. And now when he wins a race, it just, 
I don't know. It's just a different feeling. It does. He doesn't feel as doesn't feel as dominant. I guess the stats are showing that because it's not every week that he's up front. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just interesting. It doesn't right. It's 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 the most undominant three win in the first handful of races that you've ever felt, and it, that's what it feels like to me. But it's he's finishing them off. Like it was one win Dega, uh, Super Speedway. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's different in itself. That was when I think he was supposed to come in and pit. He didn't and won. So, I don't know. And then he had the other – then he had the dominating last run at California where, you remember, Reddick was super fast at, at, at California. So, um, yeah, it's, it is. It's it's Jekyll and Hyde for sure, but um, it's different. It just, just takes a little getting used to, certainly, with him and the – uh, the eight car versus the 18. Dear Danny, we've got some questions that we want to ask. Dear Danny, we need answers and we need them fast. We tried to ask Junior, but his answers were lame. And with DBC, it was more of the same. Now we're calling on you, because you're our only hope. This ain't the race track, so maybe you won't choke. We have one Dear Denny this week, and this is uh, what the majority of fans wanted to know yesterday, is what do you and other drivers do during delays, lightning delays, rain delays, whatever kind of delay it may be? You know, it was interesting this week because we had only run one green flag lap, so there was not a whole lot to talk about with the team. Um, you trying to just, you know, look around and figure out, well, let me see the restart. Let me see how it went. I felt pretty good about my car at the time because it was hotter. My car was like, oh, I think I'm going to be pretty good here. And then as soon as it cooled off and everybody was able to run so much gas, it was like, ah, oh, just love it out the playing field. But I, the, what I usually do is it, it usually happens after a certain amount of time in the race. Uh, I'll just go back and you know I'll watch SMT like every other driver will, and I'll just kind of figure out, what I need to do better as a driver and what I need more out of my car to do the things that I think I need to do. So, uh, I'll do that. But then, you know, this week it was not much. I was watching the end of the golf tournament, watching IndyCar. Um, and that was it. What about the, the situations where you can't get out of the car and you're staying in the car? Well, I, I said on the radio during the red flag, because they were like, uh, we're not sure if it's an actual 30-minute hold or are we just sitting here for the lightning. I said, man, at my age, it's easier just to sit in here and roast than it is to get in and out of the car, Like, especially as kind of sore as I've been. like I'd rather just sit in there and bake versus getting in and out. And uh, But when they said, well, it's going to be 30 minutes, I'm like, ah, all right, I guess I'll do it. Like Back in the day when we used to test all the time, I'd be the guy that would – I'll sit in there for eight hours. I mean, I, I didn't like getting in and out of the car. I'll just sit in there take little naps in between changes and stuff, which, gosh, I'm glad we don't have those days now. <laughs> you ever worried you wouldn't wake up? Like you miss your alarm? Uh, Someone have to wake you up? While I'm in the car? Yeah. No, because no. they drop the jack, and next thing you know, like, hey, it's time to go. Okay. But it's interesting. I would go from, like, napping. I mean, I, I, I fall asleep in the middle of a test, and um, they drop the jack, and they're like, you yeah, know, they're, all right, let's go. I'm like, I wake up and next thing you know, I'm going into corner 160 and I'm like, all right, let's go. And I, it's just, we can turn it on that quick. I noticed you had a signed IndyCar helmet upstairs. Marco, Marco gave me uh, his. So uh, I'm going to have to send him, not have to, but I'm going to send him 
uh, one of my FedEx helmets. So yeah, the first piece of the puzzle uh, has been delivered. Is that your first? Have you done a helmet swap with someone before? Uh, yeah, Tony. Where uh, do you keep them? In his uh, retirement year. Um, they're spread out. Uh, I think most of the exchange helmets I have are down in uh, near the walkway before you get to the basketball yeah. court. Oh, I thought those were just all yours. Nope. Denny, why don't you ask Jared how he didn't realize whose helmet that was? Ask about the conversation we had this I morning. Walk, I walked past it. Mm-hmm. I was printing out these sheets, and I walked past it. I was like, oh, oh, there's the there's Connor Daly's helmet. I was like, oh, no. That, that signature actually looks kind of like Chase Elliott's signature. No, it's an IndyCar helmet, though. And it's like, oh, it says Marco on the side. That yeah. must be Connor Daly's sponsor from the Indy 500. <laughs> <laughs> then I walked down here and I told Travis, I was like, oh, Denny must have got Connor Daly's helmet. Signature didn't really look like his, though, but it said Marco on the side. So I guess that's his sponsor wow. or something. Hey, He's Jared. Like, Andretti? Were, were you part of this podcast last week when I said I had to give Marco a helmet? It all clicked, but after Connor, a couple minutes, He's, I had to walk He didn't down say Marco. This entire time, I'm like, maybe Marco Andretti's. He's like, well, it did say Marco on the side. I'm like, yeah. Wow. I Jared. Sp- I thought it was a sponsor. Oh, sheesh. All right. I got work to do. So let's wrap this up. That's it. We're going to Sonoma next week. Uh, oh, the bracket challenge. We oh, got the, the finals. Yep. Uh, Kozlowski versus Byron in the finals. Uh, my friends in my golf league, um, everyone has everyone out except for me. Uh, I'm not winning in, in our little side uh, league that we set up, but I'm the only one that had uh, Byron going the whole way. So... I have a chance to take the title if Byron beats Kozlowski this week. So they made it to the finals of the bracket challenge. Uh, Kozlowski beat Bubba this week. Um, and the dream. Oh my gosh, what the a dreams. backdoor! What a backdoor cover that was. Kozlowski multiple laps down, seven cylinders. Bubba blows a rotor with six to go. Oh man, heartbreaker. And then the dream team of Bowman Barry is is out. <laughs> Yeah, Bowman, Byron beat Bowman. That was Bowman Barry. The Bowman Barry. All right, give Barry, you're going to give Barry the credit for the first week, right? <laughs> the first two weeks. Yeah, yeah, you're right. First two weeks, Barry carried carried the torch. So, all right, let's, who, who do you think wins that? Kozlowski versus uh, it's Byron. Hard, it's hard to bet against William Byron. I agree, uh, especially uh, road course. I mean, Kozlowski's really good, but you would just think that Byron's typically qualifies uh, pretty good. And then it's going to be tough to pass there. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Sonoma. Um, I'm going to go work on my road course skills this week and um, see if I can't close the gap to where I need to. Uh, but, all right, got a busy week. Uh, make sure you give us a follow. Like, like, follow, subscribe, rate a review, uh, at Dirty Mo Media, at Denny Hamlin, at Jared D. Allen. That's all I got. That's it. We'll see you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.